When you woke up this morning, did you say thank you? You did. Okay. Do we even realize that while we slept last night, a spiritual war raged around us? You know, it's a battle that we rarely see or even sense, but it scares the jeepers out of us when we realize that all around us, spiritual entities are fighting for us. But sometimes we feel it. And you know what you feel? You feel condemnation. You ever wake up just feeling like, man, I'm lame. I'm terrible. I have fallen short of God's standards and I deserve condemnation. Do you ever feel that? That is a spiritual reality that is being forced upon you. But I want you to know that Jesus stood watch over you all last night. He did not go to sleep. He stayed up all night, like he does every night, watching over you, protecting you, standing up for you, and fighting for you. Even when Satan's attacks come at us, and and there's so much failures and sins that Satan brings up, and he says, look what you did. How can you call yourself a believer, and, and you did that, or you thought that, or you went there or did that? How can you say that you're a good person? God rejects you. But Jesus stands up and says very quietly but firmly, no, I do not reject you. I accept you because you accept me. It's a wonderful, amazing, and very intense battle that rages over us every single night. But Jesus stands with us. And so I start reading Romans chapter 8, verse 33, which says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who's God's elect? You. If you believe you're one of God's elect. It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is risen. And he's seated at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. Well, what have you done for me lately? What have you done for me lately, Jesus? Many of us have known Jesus for a while, and so we remember that he died for us on the cross. That was great. But for some of us, it was a long time ago. Some of you are like 100 years old, and you believed like 80 years ago. And so some, I didn't point at anybody. (laughs) You guys like all looked at some, but no. We remember that Jesus died for us. But sometimes our memories fade, and our our memories can be pretty fickle. You know, we kind of, oh, was it really that big a deal? We forget things all the time. And, And certainly the intensity of our memories begin to fade as years go by. And if they... Um, don't disappear the thoughts of our forgiveness and our justification. We were so happy that day that Jesus lifted the burden of sin off our back and we just realized we were forgiven. That was such a wonderful day. But if we're not constantly thinking about it, you know, it just naturally, we just kind of forget what it felt like to have that wonderful freedom. That the thoughts of our our. our Being born again, they just don't dominate our thinking like they did when we were first born again. And that's why it's so great for a church to have people in all kinds of phases of life, young believers who are still excited that they're just forgiven of their sin, and seasoned believers, we'll call them, uh, who, who have moved on to not 
to, uh, to grow deeper in the Lord. Okay, but it's okay because Jesus doesn't uh, just forgive us. He is always serving us by bringing our needs before God and standing before God to worship God in the presence of God. And you're like, what have you done for me lately? Well, today we're going to study what Jesus is doing for us lately, what he is doing for us now. Okay, what does that mean for me? What does this all mean for me? Why should I care about this sermon today? I have like five minutes at the beginning of each sermon to get you to care. If not, you're going to be bored. You're going to check out. And so I hope I will answer that question and hook you in your heart right now. I sometimes, I always need spiritual resources. I need spiritual life in my heart. And Jesus is there to provide for me what I need. So Jesus is going to pray through his prayers. And through his connection with the Father, Jesus is going to ask what I need, and the Father is going to send it in a UPS package right to my heart. That's what Jesus is doing for me. Not only that, Jesus, I need to worship God because I am only complete when I worship God. That's the only time I'm really a complete person is when I'm worshiping God. But guess what? I am terrible at worshiping God. I cannot do it the right way. We sing worship songs, and some people you know, raise their hands like this, some people are like this, and, and are, wait, is there a right way or a wrong way? Is this person more holy than this person? This person? Like, what is the right way? And the, the truth is the, we don't know. We don't have the, there's not a right way because all of us are really, we fail at worshiping God. So Jesus, what does he do for us lately? He stands and worships God the right way. And we come inside him, we, we become one with him, and so his worship of God becomes our worship of God. And that's the second thing that we're going to learn today that he does for us on a daily basis. He worships God perfectly. And then he invites us to stand in him as he worships the Lord so I can worship God perfectly through Christ. No matter how I have my hands. Like this, like this, like this, whatever you want to do with your hands. It's okay. Because a lot of times I don't know how to worship God right. I'm not required to know the right words. I'm not or, or to be the right kind of person, God is not looking for that. I'm invited to let Jesus be all of that for me. I just need to trust him and abide in him, remain in him, keep my eyes on him. And that is the person that God is looking for to worship him. We'll get into that a little bit later. So that brings us to our text here in Exodus chapter 30. And uh, these are going to be the instructions of how to make the golden altar of incense. Like everything we've seen in the tabernacle, the tabernacle is all about who? Jesus, Jesus right? Every single part of the tabernacle has something to do with Jesus, his person, and his character, and this is absolutely no different. So let's read our text, chapter 30, verses 1 through 10. You shall make an altar to burn incense on, and you shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length, and a cubit its width, and it shall be square, and two cubits shall be its height. 
Its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay its top, its sides all around, and its horns with pure gold. And you shall make for it a molding of gold all around. Two gold rings you shall make for it. Under the molding on both its sides, you shall place them on its two sides, and they will be holders for the poles uh, with which to bear it. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with you. Important words. Aaron shall burn on its sweet incense Every morning when he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout all your generations. And you shall not offer strange incense on it or a burnt offering or grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Okay, so there are two altars in the tabernacle area. Okay, does anyone remember the first one? We already studied it. The bronze altar. Okay, and that was outside the tent building, right as you walked in. And what did they do at the bronze altar? Anyone remember? They killed sacrificial animals, all kinds of them, all kinds of uh, animals. And bronze in the Bible is a metal that speaks of what? Judgment, punishment. Okay, so this the bronze altar spoke of death and how it took a sacrificial life to forgive sins of the people, and that's the first thing they needed to realize when they came into God's presence. When they came into the tabernacle and they wanted to meet with God, God says, listen, you're crummy, and I need to cleanse you. And it takes the life of, a new, of another who is pure to cleanse you. And so God provided this life in Jesus. So the first altar spoke of Jesus and the work that Jesus did on this earth. When he showed up on this earth, he had one job to give his life as a sacrifice for ours, for our sin. And Jesus did that really well. He lived a perfect, sinless, pure life so he would be a pure sacrifice so that when he gave his life, God would see it and his blood provides perfect forgiveness for everyone who would put their trust in him, right? And we've done that. We love that. We're so excited about it. But here we have a second altar. Why do we need two altars in the tabernacle? Because we won't really know all about Jesus if we only had one. The second one is going to tell us about a second work that Jesus does for us. And the tabernacle, the inside of the tent, speaks a lot about heaven and the way things are in heaven. And so this second altar is inside the tent, and it's going to tell us what Jesus is doing up in heaven right now. In the, in the bronze altar, there was four horns on it, okay? And those horns are what they would bind the sacrifice to, and we talked about Jesus being bind, bound to the cross and how love bound him there. And so there was those horns. And four, four was always a, a, a picture, a number 
of the world. Uh, the four, there's four directions on the compass. Uh, same thing, it, it, it means the world. But did you notice that this altar had horns also? But the word for is left out in the Bible. Our text did not say there's four horns. And I think the reason why is because God speaks to us sometimes in what he doesn't even put in the Bible. And if he put the number four, it would kind of ruin this type that this is heavenly things. But this is not an earthly altar. This is a heavenly altar. So what he's doing with this second work is that he is interceding for us. This is so much more than just praying. If you were... We, we use the word intercede. I mean, it's not a common word in English, but when we do use it, we mean I'm praying for you, okay? But in this context, it is so much more than praying for somebody. This means that he is being all that we need every moment of the day. He is being what we need. That's what it means when it says Jesus is interceding for us. So he is supplying what we need and it's worship. He is providing all we need to be able to worship God the way that God deserves. God is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth, right? Jesus is making that happen right now up in heaven, and it's making a difference in this room right here because we are abiding in him. We are in him. He is doing the work. We are just connected with him. It is so beautiful how God designed this whole system because we fail so much. But his love is so consistent. His supply is so perfect. He does it all from heaven. He's doing it for us. The job on Jesus on earth was shown through the bronze altar. Uh, which was to give his life for sacrifice. So the job of, his, of Jesus in heaven is what he's doing today, interceding for his people and praising God with his people. And he is so happy to do this job. He loves doing this job, which we'll get into in a little bit. But let's think about this prayer and praise that Jesus is doing right now. He's praying, he's interceding, and he's praising God. God desires to meet with us. You remember seeing in our text right there, it says, where I will meet with you. So he loves to have this fellowship with us. Um, This is to be a daily thing with God. Unfortunately, we are impure, so we can't go into God's presence, except if we go in through Christ. He's the door. We go in through him. He cleanses us by his blood, and we can have this daily connection and and relationship with Jesus. So it says Aaron is is supposed to burn sweet incense every morning when he tends the lamps, and he's supposed to burn it every night. So morning and evening, he's supposed to let these, he's supposed to burn this incense, and the smoke will rise up, and that's like the prayers. Okay? So in Psalm 141, verse 2, it says, Let my prayer be set before you as incense lift and the lifting up my hands as the evening sacrifice god just loves it when we pray he really does and god loves it when we worship him jesus prayed and god loved it right didn't jesus get everything he prayed for god's response was always yes amen you i love when you pray and he responded And Jesus even worshipped God the Father. 
showing us that that's his delight is to worship God. In Hebrews 2, verse 12, it says, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. Jesus saying, I'm a worship leader. I love this. I love singing to my father. And Jesus is still doing these two things. On earth, he always prayed and he always worshiped. And in heaven, he's still praying and he's still worshiping God. It didn't even end, like his ministry didn't end when he went to heaven. It just became more complete. So what does this mean to me? Sitting in these chairs in this little church in Denver, Colorado, in 2018, I am invited to join him in his work. He is working it for me, and I am invited to go up there in spirit and be with him. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 13, says this. Check it out. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek one that is to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Do you see what that verse says? Only through him can we do what we're supposed to do. We can only praise God and give thanks to God through Jesus. And we have to go out of the camp to him. What does that mean? It means it's not about what you can accomplish in the camp. You have to go out to where he is. This is a faith thing. This means active faith with humble dependence upon Jesus. We're going to him. And we don't have to know what to do. We just have to know we cannot come before God with some weak sauce offering. We can't. Anything we bring ourselves is an abomination to God. That is shocking. Because so many times in church and in religion, we are taught, hey, just do your best. Give God, God is expecting your best. You give God your best. You got nothing to worry about. But the Bible says, no, your best is awful. It is terrible. It's weak. God says, your righteousness is like filthy rags. And the, the Greek word for the Hebrew word for those the, is really disgusting, what it says. And he says, that's what your best efforts are to me. So why in church do I hear, give God your best efforts? It is a total, complete lie and deception. God is not looking for your best efforts. He's looking for your surrender and, and going out to his son and trusting what his son did because what Jesus gave, God was really happy with. And he offers it to you. He says, what Jesus did, I'll give it to you if you'll humble yourself before me and put your hope and trust in him alone and stop worrying about what you can bring me. Instead, just come out to where I'm at and receive my love, my grace. Isn't that different? And it's so wonderful. Yeah, yeah. God is only ever pleased by Jesus. He has never been pleased by what another human did. He's never been impressed by you or me. The only one that ever impressed him was Jesus. So much so that twice he ripped open heaven and said, you're doing a great job. You guys all need to listen to this guy. He's got it figured out. 
Twice he did that. So question, where did the fire come from? And this is worth 33 Jesus points. Where did the fire come from to light the, this altar? Anybody know? Anybody got a guess? Jesus is the wrong answer. <laughs> a torch, huh? Good guess, no? Where did the fire come from? What do you think? Okay, you think it was burning wood? No? No? The pillar of fire? Nope, wrong. Wrong, not lightning. That would be cool, though. <laughs> Heaven, nope. Oh, Nathan gets 33 points. Right for you. Okay. You guys know that's a joke, right? There's no such thing as Jesus points. Okay. It's performance. We're going to... Sure, here's 10,000 Jesus points for you. Um, We're going to make a bumper sticker. What does it say? Yeah, try it. Yeah, anyway. I like that one. (coughs) Okay. So question, where did the fire come for this altar? Okay, the answer is from the bronze altar, from the other altar. What does that other altar speak of? Death of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ. That's where the fire came from for worship and for prayer. Listen to this. In Leviticus chapter 16, yes, this is going to blow your mind and bless your heart. So pay attention. In Leviticus chapter 16, verse 12, it, it tells us that he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the, the bronze altar before the Lord with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine and bring it inside the veil and he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is in the testimony lest he die. Okay, now I'm going to read you a quote from Arthur Pink. I usually do Spurgeon quotes, but this is an Arthur Pink quote. It doesn't have the same ring to it. I tried it already. <laughs> Spurgeon quote. But I'll still do that one. Okay. Um, in this, this in figure tells us that our great high priest pleads for no blessings which his blood did not purchase and asks no pardon from divine justice for no sins which he has not atoned. That is the most gangster quote I've ever heard. The altar of incense, okay, is where Jesus pleads for us. He's interceding for us, where he makes all of God's will come alive in our life. Okay, Jesus is like, oh, Norm needs to have some more love in his life, some more patience, watch his mouth. I'm going to put that in Norm. I'm going to do it. But how does Jesus do that? He brings the fire from the bronze altar. Jesus remembers and he brings to mind and he recalls the price that he paid for Norm's failure and weakness. Big pile. pile. Jesus reminds the Father, hey, remember that price I paid? I'm calling upon you right now to deliver him. This is the interaction that Jesus has with the Father. And it's so beautiful because it's always for our best. Because they both just freaking love us. They care so much about us. This makes, this next paragraph is like really powerful for me. This makes the fulfillment, the faithfulness and reliability of Jesus unquestionable. When Jesus asks for something from God, he will receive it. He told us that many times. 
especially in John 17. Because Jesus made the payment to purchase it. He paid the bill. And he calls upon God to bear witness that the death of his beloved son matters. And your deliverance, your life, is the proof that the death of Jesus mattered to his father. It was worth it. And God's heart is so moved that anything his son asks, God the Father says, I will give it to you. Anything Jesus would ask. And so anything Jesus asks that comes to you is called grace. Through faith, he gives us what we need. And they all agree, Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, they all agree, and they desire us to be blessed by this grace. They desire it to work this way. The Father wants you to know that he loves you, but he also wants you to know that Jesus has made the way for him to love you, has taken care of your sin, and Jesus pleads for you, and then they both use the avenue of the Holy Spirit indwelling in you to give you what you need. This is so loving. I want to read to you Revelation, the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, because we see a glimpse into heaven. What we've been talking about, I've told you that the altar of incense, uh, the one in this tabernacle, was just an image, just a picture of the real altar of incense in heaven where Jesus is working right now. He clocks in. He's never clocked out, but he clocked in. He is working at this altar of incense right now in heaven, and the book of Revelation gives us this vivid picture of, of what it looks like, okay? Look at what it says. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for a half an hour. Now, this is a first that we've seen in heaven, silence. Believe it or not, heaven was a pretty big, busy place before this. There was angels unceasing praising God. They would not stop. There was all these cherubim and fiery wheels and, and all the saints and throwing crowns and, and all this crazy, busy stuff going on, just glorifying God. And they're just so happy. It's like a giant party where God is the center of attention and Jesus is loved and adored by everybody because he is worthy of it. But at this moment, God silences everybody. He says, shh. And these angels who have never ceased praising God, they were only made, their entire bodies were musical instruments they're told to cease the music at this point in time. And this is, again, a first is crazy. And you're like, what's going to happen? It's kind of setting this intense scene, right? It says, silence in heaven for half an hour. Where's just nothing. Okay, have you ever been silent for a half an hour? Glorious. Love it. And then I saw seven angels who stand, who stood, uh, and then I saw seven angels who stand before God and to them were given seven trumpets. And then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar, the altar. And this is the altar we're talking about. And he was given much incense, right? So we know this is the altar of incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which we know it's a golden altar of incense, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, 
filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it down to the earth. And there were, look, noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So God is praised unceasingly for eternity. And then he stops because he wants us to understand something. He cares more about your prayers than he does even about his own worship. He silenced it so that he could get every single sniffle that you offered him. Every single time your heart called out to him, it was presented here with incense. And whose incense do you think that was? Jesus. Jesus takes all your prayers. He incenses them. This is what they really mean, Father. This is what they really need. I know they're saying they want you to kill that driver, but what they really mean is give me patience, Lord. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So Jesus incense, and the Father, he takes a half an hour to take it all in. Did he need a half an hour to hear every prayer that's ever been heard? No, he needed a half a millisecond, nothing. He knows them all already. But he enjoys them. He really enjoys the incense that smells sweet to him, the life of Christ that, that perfumes these prayers. He enjoys his son and the, the, the intercession his son is bringing him. And then his response is he takes fire and he throws it down to earth and there's lightning and thunder and noises and an earthquake, basically saying, hey, your prayer is going to be answered and it's going to rock your world. Yeah. It's going to shake some things up. The result will be staggering when Jesus takes your prayers and transforms them at the the golden altar of incense. So pray. Through Christ, pray. Ask him. Keep. Never stop. He will hear and he will answer. And at the end of time, you'll be like, why didn't I pray more? That's the only question you're going to ask yourself. It's the only thing we'll regret. But here's a warning. This is awesome. Don't pray without Jesus. So this next section is called, Lest He Die. In in Exodus, it says, uh, you, you shall not offer strange incense. Did you catch that part when we were reading through the text? You shall not offer strange incense or burnt offering or grain offering or pour drink offering on it. In other words, God is saying, I don't care what you think you need to bring to me. I want incense and that's it. And you smell and you got B.O. and I need Jesus there to to perfume this because you're a mess. In Leviticus, it says, he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the cloud may cover the mercy seat that uh, is on the testimony, lest he die. Lest he die. God's instructions to the high priest is if you don't have incense, you are going to die. There is no way you can think you could come before me without my son's blood, right? Right, God is saying. You don't think you can bring that weak sauce here. He's like, Dikembe Matumbo, get out of here. You will die if you try. I like that. I'm going to put that on a bumper sticker. You will die if you try. I said last week, try is the worst four-letter word. And, and 
people were laughing at me, but obviously what I mean is a curse word that you're not supposed to say. Christians should never say the word try. I'm trying, doing my best. God's like, get that weak sauce out of here. No, it is not about trying. And that is one of the main lessons we learn about grace. And here we see it so clearly. You can never attempt to gain God's favor in prayer or serving him by your own performance, by looking at the law saying, man, I've done pretty good today. Look at what my flesh has to offer you, God. By my own plan. There's only one plan in spiritual things, and that's Jesus. He is the one great high priest. Jesus. Everything else is death when it comes to interacting with God. Leviticus chapter 10, I'm going to tell you a story of Nadab and Abihu. Nadab and Abihu were the sons of Aaron. It says here, Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took a censer, a little bowl, and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded, mm-hmm, she says, <laughs> which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Jeez, the Bible's so loving and kind. It, God's saying, see, I told you. I told you so. See, these guys, Nadab and Abihu, they were not coming before the Lord in faith, in the sacrifice that his son provided. They weren't. They weren't dependent upon the high priest, their dad, Aaron, that was still alive, they should have been listening to. They didn't light their fire from the bronze altar. Remember we said, where did the fire come from? They lit their own fire. They were trusting in the sacrificial life that was offered for them at the bronze altar the way God said it was supposed to be. No, they lit their own fire. They didn't think it mattered where the fire came from, but it did. And they got burnt out real fast. They thought they could walk right into God's presence because of their position. We are sons of Aaron. I can light my own fire. They thought their status made them acceptable, not faith. I'm an American. Their, their, their entrance into God's presence was not by faith in the sacrifice. It was by self. It was not humility saying, God, I need you. It was pride. Look at me. I'm going to make an offering and God's going to be like, woohoo, I'm impressed with you. And God said, no, I am not impressed with you. Nadab and Abihu believed they could approach God based on some other foundation besides the crucified Christ. So God killed them. God killed them. They wanted to worship, but on their own terms and not through Christ. If we want to worship, which we do, it must be through Christ alone that we do it. God desires for us to do just that. To worship him through Christ alone. So, in conclusion, 
The altar of incense that we've studied today is Jesus. The, the incense itself is the prayers that Jesus offers because he loves us and he's serving us. What have you done for me lately? He's done a lot. He's continually serving you. He's continually sending you grace. He's continually representing you before God, watching over you as you sleep, providing all that you need. Day and night, moment by moment, he is our life. Therefore, Hebrews chapter 7 says, Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's not some dead God that we are trying to worship and we're trying our best to try to please someone that lived 2,000 years ago. He is alive and he is serving us and it doesn't matter what you're doing for him because he is doing it for you. And if you do do something for him, it's fruit that he is producing in your life, not the other way around. You're not doing stuff for him. Jesus is always at work. He never sleeps. And his work is saving us. And if you don't think you need saved, you're so confused. We need saved every day. And he's able to completely save whoever comes to him. He's so good at his job. He's been doing it nonstop for 2,000 years. He hasn't even taken a coffee break. He delights to do this job. He's our sole source of resources and grace for any problem we need at any moment in time. He's our very purpose for living. He just wants to provide all that you need. He loves it. That's why it says he ever lives to make intercession. It's his whole purpose for living is you. He loves you. So why does he want to do this? Why does he spend his life working at the golden altar of incense simply because he loves you. It's his most exciting job. BK just quit his job because he got a dream job somewhere else. Jesus' dream job was serving you. Night and day, interceding for you, supplying what you need, and worshiping God Just like a man who loves his wife and would sacrifice everything in this life to give her what she needs, Jesus has committed himself to us as a husband. His love is reckless and irrational in some ways. He is perfect in his devotion to you and for your good. He has no other plans than to love God first and love you. His love is truly more than you can handle or believe or understand. We need our hearts to even be transformed and enlarged spiritually so that we can even contain or understand this type of love. Paul prays for that at the beginning of Ephesians. So what do we do? How do we respond today to this kind of love? Well, what does a young woman do when she's proposed to? He gets down, he... And what does she do? She freaks out. She cries for joy. She screams. Ah! She, she hugs her man, right? She walks together with him talking about the future and their plans and how happy she is. She desires nothing more than to be with him at all times, abiding together. 
How about that for a response? Let that be what our life looks like in this world. Ephesians chapter 5 says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. Walk in love. As Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. What is that talking about? The, the golden censer. Of, it's like right there, the golden altar. And he says, be imitators of God as employees who have to wear the logo of their company on their shirt. Oh, that's not what it said? Oh, it said, be imitators of God as slaves who have no choice. I got to go to church. I can't do anything fun. Be imitators of God as people think they can actually be like God but don't actually need God at all. No. He says, be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in his love. Who is the perfect child of God? Right. Walk in his love. The gospel tells us that God accepts us and adopts us as his dear children in the exact same position as his beloved son in whom he's well pleased. Jesus calls you brothers and sisters. When was the first time Jesus called people his brothers and sisters? You guys know? Nope. It was the moment he rose from the dead. Go tell my brethren that I'm going to their, my God and their God now. That was the first time Jesus called us his brethren. It's kind of amazing. We have been lifted into a position with Christ because we're in Christ. So every emotion of love that God feels for his son is naturally and really shared with you. The way God feels about Jesus is the way he feels about you. You become one with Christ, beloved like Jesus, treasured and cherished, and so God listens to Jesus. God's love is so real for Jesus, and now it is for you as well. He loves you, and he loves to provide what his children need, and so he says, walk in that love. Every step we take is to be in dependence and trust in that love. We never step forward to earn it. We step forward believing that we already have it. It's been given to us by Christ. That Christ has loved us and given himself for us. That's what that verse said. That's how to walk in the love. Believing and knowing and trusting that God, Jesus, has loved us and given himself for us. His love and sacrifice is the sweet-smelling aroma to God. Our life, our praise and our prayers. and It takes on this same aroma of Christ's life when we abide in his love and sacrifice. That means you marinate in it, you cook in it. It's just not about what you're doing, it's where you're abiding. Okay, so here's four questions. Number one, but God is so big, how can he really love me? These are four questions that people, that we might be really thinking when it comes, ah, Jesus loves me, I hear that all the time, but God is so big, how can he love me? I mean, isn't he concerned more about the orphans in Africa than about me? Well, his word says that he knows every hair on your head. 
He knows your name and he knows your innermost heart and he still loves you. That's what his word says. But how can God love such a sinner as me? You don't know the things that I've done. You don't know the person I really am on the inside and how dirty and dark I am. Well, his word says that the blood of Jesus washes you of all your sin when you believe and trust in Christ. It's not a problem. He loved you and died for you while you were still a sinner, so it's really not a problem. Question three, but I don't feel like God loves me. It's so dark right now. I'm going through so much. I'm so just, it's just quiet and I don't hear his voice or it's just so loud that I can't hear his voice. Again, his word says, do you see what we're doing here? Every time we have a question, we go to the word and find out what it says. His word says nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Even if you don't feel like it's true, believe it and abide it. Be stubborn about believing the gospel, what God says in his word. Fourth question, but I haven't done anything to deserve this love. Maybe I should show God that I'm worth it before I really can rest in his love. And this is probably the most common of all of these in our lives. Because we've grown up in this nation where everything is prove it to me. Show me you're worth it. Prove your worth. His word says that God's love for you is not ever based on your performance. And if you really looked at your performance, you'd be embarrassed. No matter what, who you are or what you've done. But rather, his acceptance of you and his love for you is always based on the performance of Jesus on your behalf. Enjoy it and believe it. This is how to walk by faith and live the Christian life. So the altar of incense, as we see, is is just Jesus foreshadowed. His love for us is a never-ceasing supply of loving intercession. He, He asks God for what we need. He praises the God with the way we wish we could. Jesus invites us to abide with him and partake in this wonderful life of real and genuine relationship and worship of God. God is seeking worshipers and God invites you. Will you respond? Will you come to the altar and worship God through Jesus for it's the only way? Okay, yeah, I'm gonna. All right, well, it says in Hebrews 13.10, we have an altar which those who serve in the tabernacle have no right to eat. That means, okay, guys, if you believe this, eat it up. Jesus offers all of himself to you, and it's all we will ever need, and so we just simply take and eat his life in faith, saying, okay, It's for me. I'm going to believe what Jesus did. Do it in secret. Do it in private. Do it all together in public. It's got to be all Jesus all the time. And that's what the altar of incense is all about. All right? Let us stand. We're going to worship the Lord, Take, put into practice what we just learned or were exhorted to. sweater.
So again, you don't have, there's no requirements for our time of worship. There's no, you know, right way or wrong way. It's you either believe that Jesus is in heaven and you're uniting with him and we can all worship God right now. Or you're going to try to do it in your own and you're going to try to figure out a way to do it. And I hope that all of us take the uh, opportunity to truly trust in God and worship him as he asks us to through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. If you've never known that you've been forgiven and washed clean by the blood of Jesus, right now is a perfect time to say, Jesus, wash me clean. And guess what? He will. He will answer your prayer. He will wash you clean. Your sin will be forgiven and done away with forever. And you can begin a life of a child of God walking with him day by day.